Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week, we're talking about Giuseppe Verdi's La Traviata, which debuted at La Fenice in Venice in 1853, Eric. An absolute masterpiece of Verdi's middle period. I mean, there is, there is no, there's not a note in this score that isn't essential. And it's one of those pieces that has remained on the opera house stages forever. Absolutely, because you have in the title character of the Violetta a role that is uh, a real challenge for a soprano. I mean, the soprano carries the show, and it's said that it requires three different voices to sing Violetta. You need to be a coloratura in Act One. You need to have uh, the the power of a spinto soprano in Act Two, and then you need to have the the floating lyricism of a lyric soprano in Act Three. And it's very difficult to find one singer who can embody all those voice types superbly through, you know, in, in, in one evening. This is based on the play La Dame aux Camélias by Alexandre Dumas, the younger. Right. Which is also the source material for the famed film Camille, starring Greta Garbo. Violetta Valérie, the woman who is at the center of La Traviata and who is herself the Traviata of the title. La oh, yeah. Traviata meaning the fallen woman. Right. She is a courtesan. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, this is the, the, the Parisian, uh, what they call the demi-monde. A society of women. It's, it's too broad and too simplistic to call them prostitutes. prostitutes. They're not. They're, They're kept sort women. Of, the sort of escorts. Yes. That's a better way to put it. And she has a tremendous reputation as this courtesan. But she's been sick. And as Act One opens, she's throwing a party because she's gotten over this sickness, this illness. She thinks. She thinks. (laughs) And in the course of that party, Gaston, one of her friends, tells her that every day while she was in bed sick. This guy, Alfredo Germont, had stopped by the house to ask after her to find out how she was doing. Right. And he subsequently introduces the two. And Violetta is quite touched by this. Well, she's greatly touched by it, as it turns out. His devotion. Which seems very genuine. He's clearly, he's a very young man, and his his interest in her is very pure, almost naive in a sense, as someone who's young, you know, can tend to be. Uh, but she's very moved by uh, the ardor of his his devotion to her. Obviously, as well, that the knowledge that that she has this disease, this consumption, right, tuberculosis, with, with tuberculosis, right. She actually has a reticence about responding or getting involved with anybody because of her physical state? Well, it's a combination of her physical state and um, the life she leads. The life of a courtesan does not, generally speaking, lead to getting married and and having kids and, and, you know, the white picket fence. It's kind of a dead end. As the guests are carousing, we have... One of the great songs of all opera, the Brindisi. Brindisi. 
Oh, that's what I was going to say next. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> right. It's the, a it's a drinking song. Alfredo was asked to lead them in a drinking song and he does so and then Violetta takes up the next verse. And then the chorus joins in, uh, and it is, I mean, it's just one of the most famous pieces of music in opera. Libiamo, libiamo, it begins. Let us drink, let us drink. Right. And then they finish the song, and music is heard from another room, and all the guests leave to go into that other room toward the music. And Violetta and Alfredo are left alone. And suddenly, Violetta has this coughing fit, a reminder that she is sick. You're right. And then she begins to question Alfredo about how much he loves her. What are his feelings for her? And he remains pretty constant, you know, uh, in his his devotion to her and, and will not be dissuaded, even when she seems to be trying to dissuade him in, uh, subtly. And she asks him, how long have you been in love with me? And he says, a year. Yeah, he says, undi felice eterea, is his his arioso, which he describes the moment when he fell in love with her. And it becomes a, a, a duet, and she begins to really respond to the depth of his emotions for her and, and respond in kind. So that when Alfredo and the other guests have left, Violetta is, is there alone, and she, she starts to think. She sings this, this cavatina, this, this slow aria, A forse lui che l'anima. And she starts to think, well, what if, what if this were possible for me? What if I really could fall in love and really could form an attachment to someone? To one person. To one person that doesn't involve the change of money. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe this is my one big shot. And then she just kind of, oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, forget it. No. That's not for me. And she ends the act in this brilliant, fast cavaletta, uh, Sempre Libera, in which she just says, no, it's the courtesan's life for me, just flitting from one pleasure to the next, ad infinitum. And uh, it takes her on these flights of coloratura fancy that are quite difficult to, to pull off uh, and pretty thrilling when you hear someone who can really master it. End of Act One. End of Act One. Act Two, we are sometime in the future, and 
Violetta and Alfredo are now living together in the country. She has a place in the country. And so they are living there in unwedded bliss. Right. <laughs> but bliss, absolutely. However. Life in the country has a price. That's right. And Alfredo learns from Anina, Violetta's maid, that the cost of keeping up the country house is so much that Violetta is actually having to sell her jewels to maintain their lifestyle. And here again, this is where his uh, a certain amount of naivete becomes apparent with Alfredo. He He's just been enjoying himself, and it hasn't even occurred to him, how is this all being paid for? Because he's young. <laughs> but she's, she's, she's a little older, and she knows... Uh, that uh, somebody has to pay for this stuff. So she's been selling off her jewelry and her possessions to pay for it. When Alfredo finds this out, though, he mans up and he leaves immediately for Paris to try and raise the funds to to pay off the debts, etc., and contribute toward the upkeep of the, of the country house. Right. While he's gone, who should show up but... Papa Germain, Alfredo's father, Giorgio. And he has come to talk in the first instance with Violetta. Yes. And she receives him. And why has he come? What does he want to say, Eric? Well, Giorgio Germain is a, a bourgeois gentleman who aspires to greater things for his family. And his, his young daughter, Alfredo's sister, uh, is about to become uh, affianced to a young man of means and of, a, of a, a reputable family. And consequently, what Giorgio Germain has come to do is to convince Violetta to split up with Alfredo. Drop because, him. Drop him. Because... The stain on the family name that his Alfredo's liaison with Violetta brings, because uh, she's a courtesan. Because she's a courtesan, uh, Giorgio is afraid that that will screw up the whole deal with Alfredo's sister's betrothal. And in fact, Germain has this uh, aria, um, Pura si come un angelo. Yes, pure as an angel. Pure as an angel. Describing his, his daughter. And the repercussions for the family are quite... I mean, he says, look, I don't just have a son. I have this daughter as well. And we've got the opportunity to marry her off, as you said. And, uh, you know, your relationship with my son is a potential... Fly in the ointment. Yeah. This duet is just a great, great operatic scene all around. Because Giorgio Germont, when he comes in, when he begins the scene, he's very, um, how, how does one put it? He's very patronizing. Well, uh, he feels. Authoritative. Yeah, he feels above her. Absolutely. And as the scene goes on and he sees the emotional anguish uh, 
that Violetta is experiencing at the prospect of losing Alfredo, he can't help but feel for her. But she accedes to his wishes. Ultimately, yes. And she says, I will drop him. And that really impresses Germain. I mean, that's the sort of the the final proof that she yes. actually really genuinely loves his son. But she 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 promises to do it, but she promises uh, with uh, with one stipulation that Germain one day tell Alfredo of the sacrifice that Violetta made for him. That day, of course, being when Violetta is no longer alive. <laughs> and she finally yields. And she sings that... Uh, Detail giovane. Tell your daughter that she'll do it. And she then, uh, when Germain leaves, she writes a note for Alfredo, basically doing it in a note because she knew perfectly well that she couldn't do she it couldn't in person. face to face. Couldn't do it face to face. She's going to write to tell him that she's dropping him. Right. And she leaves the note with Anina. Alfredo returns from Paris and Violetta is writing this letter. And he's perplexed because he can tell something is wrong. Uh, and she's very emotional, but she won't tell him why. But he also says, I've heard that my father's on the way here and that he's coming to attempt to split us up. Right. So she tells him that she'll leave so that she doesn't, so that she's not there when, when Giorgio Germain arrives. And as she leaves, okay. Big moment. Giant, giant moment. She turns to him and sings, Amami Alfredo, in this gigantic phrase that is sort of her signature phrase in the opera, this outpouring of love for him. I love you, Alfredo, and then leaves. Because in her mind, this is, these are the final words that this she will it. say to him. This is it. Alfredo is left alone, and as he's reading, a messenger comes in with a note for him. Yep, and it's the note from Violetta. Bad news. Very bad. And he's devastated. He's absolutely devastated, and as he's just reeling with the implications of what he's just read, his father comes in and tries to comfort him. And he does so with an, with an aria, not surprisingly, <laughs> called Di Provenza il Mar, in which Germain tells him, come, come home with him to Provence to the healing countryside of Provence. And it's, it's such a gorgeous aria. It's actually, I, I remember hearing an interview once with uh, Paolo Gabanelli, who was singing it, and he described it as a lullaby. And it is, when you really think about it. it, it that is, if you've got a baritone who isn't trying to, you know, <laughs> turn it into uh, Count de Luna or something. This is, this is a lullaby. This is a father singing a, a lullaby to his son to 
commune. We have all these letters that get passed around <laughs> yes. in, in La Traviata. Yes. Um, earlier in Act Two, Violetta had received a letter from one of her friends, Flora, inviting her to a party mm-hmm. in the city, in Paris, that evening. Right. And right then, as Alfredo is, the, after he's gotten the letter from Violetta saying that she is breaking with him, he finds the invitation. He finds the invitation, and he knows where Violetta will be that evening. Right. And off he goes to find her. The scene changes, and we are at Flora's party. And it's the old crowd. Violetta has taken up again with Baron Dufol. Her erstwhile patron. Yes. Her erstwhile patron. <laughs> And Alfredo soon arrives as well and uh, begins gambling. He's, he's, he's playing cards and winning money. There is a little bit of tension between Alfredo and the Baron. <laughs> a little. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and in fact, the Baron starts to bet against Alfredo in the card game. Flora comes out and says, dinner served, and so everybody leaves to go eat. And Violetta circles back, right, and holds Alfredo back and says to him, look, the best thing for you to do is to leave right now. And she even keeps her promise to um, Alfredo's father and, and tells Alfredo that she does, in fact, love the Baron, even though we know that's a lie. That's a complete lie. And that's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back for Alfredo. He tears open the doors to the dining room and says to everybody, come over here. You know this woman, he says. And he proceeds to just absolutely slander her character just horribly. And ends by taking his winnings from the from gaming the card tables, game. from the card game, and throws it at her. You know, basically, basically calling her a whore. I mean, he doesn't actually use the word, but that's the implication. He's 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 reimbursing her for quote services rendered end quote. Just then, Germain arrives, knowing that his son would be looking for Violetta. And he, compl- he just absolutely shames him for his behavior toward Violetta in front of the, uh, the whole crowd. Which is so interesting because when Germain first arrives at the country house and confronts Violetta, he has that condescension. Absolutely. Toward her. He thinks so little of her because of what she is. Yeah. And then he- over the course of his interactions with her, he becomes more and more affected by her good qualities. Yeah, but not enough to release her from, uh, from the promise she made him. He's still bourgeois enough and still um, just wrongheaded enough to, to cling to that and let Alfredo continue to think that she broke up with him and, and you know, this whole farce. End of Act Two. End of Act Two. Act Three... Violetta's bedroom. 
Time has passed and her health has deteriorated. Yeah, she's run out of time. She is on her deathbed. As Violetta is there in her bed, you know, the, the tuberculosis is taking greater hold, etc. Yeah, she has a great aria. It's, it's, it's called Addio del Passato. She basically says goodbye to life. She knows it's the end, and uh, she has lots of regrets. The irony is that outside in the street, there are all these preparations for carnival. Right. Revelers. Partying. Which is so heart-wrenching because that's the life that she had led. Right. And now here she is, dying of consumption. It's almost as if life is mocking her. Then... Violetta receives a letter, another of those letters <laughs> from Germont, telling her that he has told Alfredo the truth. Right. And this is what causes her to launch into the aria Adio del Passato, because she reads the letter aloud, doesn't sing it. It's actually meant to be read. And at the end, she simply drops the, the letter and says, E tardi. It's too late. Too late too late. I'm on my way out. But Anina tells her that Alfredo has come to see her. And they have a an ecstatic reunion, an ecstatic reunion, and they sing a, a gorgeous duet, Parigi Ocara, where they imagine that they'll, uh, they'll leave Paris and, uh, you know, have a life together. And she tries to get up and tries to go with him, and she can't. She is completely bereft of strength, completely. The, the, the disease has, has advanced too far. It's too late. However, there is that, that brief reconciliation between Alfredo and Violetta. Yeah. And even Germain arrives, the elder Germain, to, to beg forgiveness. And... While they're attending to Violetta on her deathbed, you hear a, a, a tune from Act One that she sang with with uh, with Alfredo, and she starts to feel better, and she she's she's amazed. She feels renewed and this surge of energy. And I'm told, or at least I've read, that this often was the case with tuberculosis victims. That at the end, they would get this. I don't know, re resurgence of energy. And, uh, and that's what happens to Violetta. And she, she stands up and she, you know, and she's getting excited and, oh, joy, I'm, you know, I'm going to get better. And then she drops dead. What I find interesting here, Eric, are the comparisons with La Boheme. Because you have the, the beloved who is dying of consumption and what effect that illness has on their ability to, to love mm. and to be with the person they love. Obviously, Mimi and Rodolfo. What happens in La Boheme, they sort of separate from each other by their own agreement. Mm -hmm. But they postpone that separation until the spring. Mm -hmm. They separate in the spring, and right at the end, Mimi comes back 
and they have that brief moment together. Right. And then she's gone. Right. But there's a difference between Mimi and Violetta in terms of that tuberculosis, that consumption, and what it means. Because here in Traviata, in the middle of the 19th century, that disease still has a romanticism attached to it. Right. Whereas, Whereas with Bohem, it's a it's it's in, in Traviata, it's it's a disease of the middle class. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Bohem, it's it's the lower class. It's it's verismo. It's realism, and so it's, it's lost its romanticism. Oh, big time! Ironically, because Bohem is such a romantic opera. Yeah. But it's no longer presented as having that romantic quality. Well, and and interestingly enough, musicologically, you know, Bohem, you know, really couldn't have existed without Traviata, because what Verdi is doing, this is Traviata is is toward the beginning of his middle period. In his in his early period, Verdi was really still he was finding his own voice, but he was still harnessed to the conventions of bel canto. You have uh, recitative, which is the connecting musical material between musical numbers. And then if you have an aria, you have a, cab- a cavatina, a slow aria, and then a cabaletta to show their coloratura. You know, and, and that's just a very formal structure. And in his middle period, he's starting to discard the structure. because Not discard it, but he's, he's, he's changing it. In Act Two, when you, uh, when you have Act Two, Scene Two, which is in uh, Flora's party, and that whole scene with the gambling and then the scene between Alfredo and Violetta, it's all one big, long duet, in a sense. But the important thing is that the melody is not in the voices for the first time, because before that, it was always, the melody's always in the voice. But here, the melody is in the orchestra below the voices, and the voices are just coming in and, and punctuate and, and counterpoint, uh, which allows Verdi to have the action progress in a number, whereas before, the action always happened in the recitative, and then they reacted to it in the numbers. So he's moving opera in a direction toward uh, his his late masterpieces, Otello and Falstaff, where they're they're just there really kind of aren't numbers anymore. It's very hard to excerpt things from Otello and Falstaff. And that in turn led to Puccini, you know, where I mean, yes, there are numbers, but it's all one big musical tapestry from the beginning of an act to the end. I mean, the amazing thing about Bohem is that the first quote unquote aria doesn't come until halfway through Act One. Right. Everything up until that point is, crudely speaking, Ensemble. recitative. Right. But in, in essence, there aren't any recitatives. Uh, and that's where Verdi is taking opera, you know, in the course of his long storied career. So, in, in essence, Mimi couldn't have existed without Violetta. Giuseppe Verdi's La Traviata. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening. 